morning everybody. We will uh, start our service by taking the opportunity of confessing our acceptance of how great and all-powerful our God is. Our first hymn, verse 1, Lord of all being, we sing. Verse 3, all save the clouds of sin are thine. And then verse 4, Lord of all life. This is our God who we come to remember today. And then in verse 5, we ask that our hearts might burn for God, that we may be more Christ-like. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, all-powerful, all-knowing and all-loving, we thank you for this opportunity now that we have to come and spend time in fellowship with you and the Lord Jesus Christ and with each other. We pray, Lord, that you will bless us this morning and that you will bring to fruition the words of the last verse, that our kindling hearts will burn for thee, that, Lord, we will be built up and empowered to do your will in our lives day by day. And, Lord, we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Neil, in a moment, will come and uh, give us the ecclesial and pastoral uh, announcements. Good morning, all, and uh, welcome. These are our announcements for uh, the coming week and beyond, um, subjects, of course, to God's will. The fate yesterday went exceedingly well. Um, it raised about £400 for the Stop the Traffic campaign, uh, which, for those of you who don't know, is campaigning against people being trafficked into slavery and prostitution and that sort of thing. So a massive thanks to Sarah Gilly and Becky Brickhouse for organising it um, and to everybody uh, who helped before, during and after the event uh, and thus helped to make the day such a success. Um, it really felt like the church was a part of um, our community uh, here in Old Trafford. And uh, our care news, as we rejoice in the birth of Lois Ruby May, uh, please pray that God will continue to bless Helen um, with good health. A lady called Nikki, who's youth church mum, we prayed for last Sunday, uh, is much better. She's, uh, she's in hospital and really appreciates our prayer, so please continue to pray for her and her family. Um, Ollie was just telling me that um, a complete stranger in Sainsbury's yesterday uh, was talking to him um, and came back a bit later with an enormous bunch of flowers for um, Hannah and the family, and he just wanted me to mention... Um, how important random acts of kindness are. So there you go, I've done that. Um, Pete Griffiths has seen a consultant um, and is to have some chemotherapy, so we'll pray for him and Christine at this difficult time. Gladys is continuing to find life very difficult, uh, and we pray for her. Um, we also think of Marion as she struggles with her ongoing health problems. Great to see uh, Jack and Mary here. Um, as Mary's treatment continues, we, we need to keep Mary in our prayers. Um, we pray for a continued blessing on Hermione and Hannah and Ollie um, and Sophie and Mike and Lucy. Great to see all of you guys here today. Um, Pauline continues to find life difficult uh, and does appreciate visits and contact. Um, we need to keep remembering John in the Congo in his difficult circumstances. And uh, I'm going to pray for the children who are returning to school um, this week as well, especially those who are starting new schools, that God will help them uh, at this time. 
So that's, that's our care news. Um, I forgot to welcome visitors. Please welcome to Atilia from Romania, who's uh, here for the first time, and uh, to the rest of you who I've missed. I'm really sorry about that. You're all welcome, of course, to join us. Tony's asked us to, no, he's asked me to leave the um, pastoral prayer. Does anybody have anything else that you'd like uh, us to pray for this morning? We'll uh, bring these things before our Father. Father, we, uh, we approach you now to ask for your rich blessing on, uh, on all the people we've just mentioned and all the things that we've thought about. Uh, we know that you love us. Um, sometimes when things are difficult, it's, it's hard to remember that and it's hard to know that you're close to us, but we, um, we know that you are. And we ask that uh, all our brothers and sisters will be aware of your presence and of your um, loving hand on each one of them. You've heard what we've said, Father, but we bring before you um, Pete and Gladys and Gladys's neighbour, Samuel, um, Helen and Paul and their family, um, Marion, Mary and Jack, Mike and Lucy and Sophie, Hermione, Hannah, Ollie, Pauline, all, all these people, we ask that you, that you will be um, close to them and that they'll know your care. We remember John in Congo and pray that um, he will be strengthened and if it's your will that we'll see him again, but we look forward to seeing him uh, in your kingdom if, if not before we, um, we pray for all our children who are going back to school or starting school bless them this year as they learn and help them to be a witness to you um, to their friends as well we, um, we bring before you H's family Pauline's brother and his family as they uh, mourn the loss of uh, his father-in-law please be with them, be close to them um, please Father, be with Nathan and Rachel as they get married this coming week. Bless them richly uh, in their walk together um, and help them to serve you together and be uh, a blessing to those who, who come across them and their, their new family. Father, please be with Anna and Dave uh, down in London. Um, please be with the Crowthers as they, as they move house. It's a stressful time and we pray that you'll um, bless them with um, a smooth change as they move uh, down here closer to this church, their family. We pray that you be with Des uh, as he looks for work and uh, please bless him richly. And we pray, Lord, that you'll be with all the activities that this, this church does in your name. Um, and we think particularly of the, the new Bible course that's going to be happening soon. Please uh, bring people to us so that we can teach them about you. And uh, we pray that you'll help us to do that. Help those who are leading the course and uh, those who come along to, to find out about you, Lord. Uh, everything we do here is to your glory and we pray that you'll bless it thank you for all things you do for us in Jesus name, Amen we will be led in our readings this morning by the Green family Liz will read for us uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and then Peter will continue with 2 Corinthians chapter 9 2 Corinthians chapter 8 And now brothers we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches Out of the most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to, to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, 
but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way that we administer this liberal gift. We are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. For I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be, for if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you'd promised.
Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, He scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Uh, I'd now like to ask John if he will come and exhort us. He could come and sing a solo, which I think is what he was preparing for then. Or maybe not. Come on. (laughs) Um, I have to confess that up until a couple of days ago, I was developing another theme for this morning's exhortation. And I really don't know quite why. Guidance, I I pray and trust. But I decided to turn... In my little office, I've got two decks and a computer on one and a, another chair. And I turned, for some reason, I turned to the computer and switched it on. I had, a, I had a compunction to look back at the notices of care and the prayers that were saying for care for the brothers and sisters and different people. And I was quite pleased I did so because it changed my whole approach to what I wanted to talk about. I was interested in the amount of concern and care news within this church, within other churches in our meeting, and, and within people outside the church. And I thought, I thought for a moment of the problem of loneliness, brothers and sisters, and it's that that I want to think about this morning in, in various forms and various ways. And, personally speaking, having had in the past, and sometimes at the present, but mainly in the past, having had some serious challenges of loss, I think I speak in measure with some experience to the ongoing effect of what loneliness can bring to us. But also, I've experienced the, more importantly, the wonderful solutions available to us through our faith and through our knowledge of the scriptures. I think that a number of spiritual, 
emotional and social issues in our lives all combine together to bring us to a state of what I call loneliness. Some of us are affected for long periods of time. On the other hand, sometimes a sudden, a relative sudden change in our circumstances in life can um, induce the shattering of confidence that we once had and can bring to bear upon us and our personalities the chronic effects of isolation and loneliness. And of course the whole theme and subject of loneliness invokes, invokes a two-way responsibility. Firstly, as a church, as a family, we should always be aware of the challenges and difficulties of other people beyond ourselves. Try to identify in them and in their lives where need and particular need is, is, is necessary and give it. That's the first responsibility. The second responsibility is, without in any way wishing to be harsh, as individuals we should always be aware that maybe there's more we could do about the environment through which we're living and finding very challenging. Perhaps we are partly responsible for the continuation of this feeling of isolation and loneliness and perhaps we're not willing to do something about changing it when in fact we should be willing. And it's very strange, isn't it, when you think about it, that living as we do through the phenomenon of technological growth and expansion of inventions, it occurred to me that with all the many devices available for intercommunication, intercontact, mobile phones, iPods, computers, chat rooms, um, CDs, players, etc., etc., it is possible that less quality communication takes place between people and therefore there may well be more loneliness in people's hearts than there perhaps should be. It's, maybe it's a deception under which we live that we're thinking everybody is communicating, but maybe they're not, and not genuinely, not eye-to-eye, touch-to-touch, and face-to-face, as it were, which I think is great, great help when we can do it. And it's also worth bearing in mind, and although I know this is an extreme, that the effect of isolation on human beings, the effect of loneliness on, on us as human beings is intense and concentrated, so much so that the civil authorities and military authorities recognize that if the one way you want to disorientate a person is you stick them in a cell on their own. And it's, it's called solitary confinement. It's a most severe punishment upon men and women who are subject to this. And of course... There are those people in the past who put people in their own in a room, in a dark room with no light. Absolutely brutal and awful. So the effect of being alone, feeling alone and isolated is quite serious on the effect it can have in disorientating you, making you lose self-respect, being lost in all sorts of ways. And although that's an extreme, I think it makes the point of how important it is to identify when we're going through these particular emotions and experiences and important to recognize how much help to relieve it in other people is placed upon those who are the onlookers. And so the problem of loneliness is of course started by the privation or cessation or the death of something. It is the ending of something you once had. It can be a career, it can be 
uh, a relationship, it can be financial loss, um, partners, it can be loss of health, loss of self-confidence, for whatever reason. These are the, um, the privations which will push us into a feeling of isolation and perhaps loneliness in the particular uh, part of life we're living and it will affect us more than perhaps we realise. Um, I know I'm using the word loneliness as an overall, an umbrella um, title really to cover a number of debilitating emotions which can affect our mood, our behaviour, our motivations and will seriously affect our journey in life. Um, it can be frustrations, it can be disappointments, having too much to do or too little to do. All these have strange effects upon us and, the way, and how we're coping with life. And perhaps my theme this morning, when it's developed, will, in not wishing to be harsh, it might be putting more onus on us as individuals to deal with it. But encumbered in that, of course, as I've already said, is the responsibility on our family and brothers and sisters and families and friends to help as well. So I don't wish to be harsh in saying you need to do something about it, friend, but that nonetheless I think is very, very strong. Because sometimes we can perhaps mistake loneliness for boredom. You hear the word boredom an awful lot today. And there are, of course, we know genuine forms of boredom. Monotony of lusterless routine, repetition of daily chores, and so on and so forth. And it seems to me that when we plead boredom, when people say, I'm bored, it's, it's probably more that they're lonely. And maybe again we can look at ourselves if we use that phrase very often. Maybe it's we're very lonely in life. We, we are not able and cannot be with the people we wish to be with, for instance, um, you can't be in the place that you would wish to be and you would choose if you could. You cannot be doing the things you would like to be doing. Um, and that's, I think, interpreted as boredom. But it's all the ingredients of what loneliness will do. And from that, pushing us into that particular vacuum of, of isolation will then have other effects, which if we identify them will affect us our moods and how we deal with our life and how we deal with our effect on the lives of other people. And so it's, it's not just selfishness to try to change these things. It is a question of being wise and sensible and making good changes where we can and um, affecting, of course, within us at that time the long-term effect of loneliness. And I think sometimes, again, loneliness can be the result of bad decision or bad judgment, either by us or by other people, um, whose judgment might have a direct effect on us. And, as I said, I don't wish to be harsh, but oftentimes we need to help ourselves to overcome the prolonged effect of loneliness in our lives if it is having a detrimental on effect on how we deal with us and how we deal with other people. So therefore it's a state of mind. Loneliness, isolation, uh, indifference to opportunity is a state of mind and therefore it can be helped once we identify it as a state of mind. Uh, if we have the strength the encouragement, the resolve, if we have the right resources, the right apparatus of advice and education and guidance, we can help the situation in which we find ourselves. It's not easy, 
I'm not pretending it is easy, we know talk is cheap, but it is hugely uh, worthwhile and possible. I, I remember once attending um, a business seminar, a business motivation seminar, some years ago, and I was sitting there quietly and listening, and the speaker suddenly said something that initially annoyed me, but it made me sit up and think very seriously. And he said this, and it was a serious, it was a serious um, investigation and analysis of, of motivational needs within all of us. He said, you are where you are at any time because you choose to be. And I thought, wait a minute, how do you know? I haven't chosen to be here. And at that particular time, I had suffered some serious losses and tragedies. And these are things beyond my control. And I thought, how do you know people are in situations maybe beyond their control? They didn't ask to be there. But the point is, if we think about it, he's so right. Insofar as, if you identify the problem of isolation and loneliness and we are unwilling to do something about it, then we are there because we choose to be. And that's the point of the exercise. And that's, it spurred me on to think seriously about myself at that time and from then onwards. Was I prepared to stay in that particular feeling that why has this happened to me? Why doesn't it happen to other people? Everybody else seems to have what they want and getting on with their life. Why this? Why that? Why the other? But if I was prepared to stay in that particular situation without doing something about it, I was there because I chose to be. And I can recommend to all of us, brothers and sisters, if any of you individually, and it could be I'm talking to one person this morning, it could be I'm talking to me, which I certainly am, it could be I'm talking to everybody, that doesn't matter. If you do feel that there are needs in your life that change, that, that if you, there are things you need to change, if you're facing a challenge ahead of you, if you've just faced one, if they're behind you and the effect of that challenge is to make you feel unwanted, alone, on your own, nobody else cares, everything else is fine for them, it may well be that you have to start looking at the situation and saying you're there because you choose to be. This is not outside the, the purpose of God. This is not outside the guidance and, 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 and effect of, of God's hand within our life. My original thoughts were going to come from Corinthians uh, 8 and 9, second letter to Corinthians 8 and 9, and, it, it, and, and I've left that, and maybe that's a bit of excitation in the bank. But um, the fact is, if you look at some of those lovely ideas there, Paul says, you did this of your own heart. You took it upon you to do this. So I think God works with our initiative to promote within us the best outcome. So it isn't, we know it isn't done through our own strength, but it's through our own willingness to perceive God's presence in our life and the need we have to work with that. And if you do nothing about it, it may be your fault, your, it's your fault that you're there. God has given us the apparatus to, to get out of these uh, difficult situations. And that's why I say the point, that, 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 and I emphasize this, this, this speaker's point, that we are where we are because we choose to stay there. And God offers us through the scriptures a number of wonderful 
um, what I like to call techniques for survival. And we can use them seriously every day, every moment of our life. After all, the Bible is God's script for mankind. We call them the holy scriptures. So they're though, they're so valuable. They're elevated beyond anything human beings can offer. But it's God's script for people to work out on the stage of life. And we should therefore recognize these techniques which are there. Firstly, we should heed exhortation which come from the scriptures. Don't deny it. Don't forget it. Heed exhortation. And secondly, we should develop the capacity to remember what has been promised and offered, what has taken place and the outcome and what can be from that. And of course this morning is about remembrance. There are always ways available to us to bring a positive result out of what may appear a negative presence, a negative issue. And because we are God's children, we deal with things as Christians, not as lost souls in a comfortless world. So like you, I believe, and it's the exhortation is to believe that God's words to us are to aid our fight, our battle, and are given us to overcome all the privations we might feel in life, summarized by this feeling of loneliness, isolation, and, and separation. And I think when we ponder the lives of the many, many lives and examples of people in the scriptures, um, we recognize that their characters were victorious over the challenge of their particular privations and isolation and loneliness because they adopted a positive attitude and they made the very best out of the circumstances they were in. And I think that's an amazing technique. Make the best of the circumstance that you are in. It will be impossibly hard at times, we know that, but we have to be patient and persevere in healthy hopefulness and not wallow in passive hopelessness. And it's a formula which will work and we have got the examples to prove it. In the Psalms, we know that wonderful Psalm, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way. What an amazing verse that is. We have the phrase, don't we, that the bottom of his life fell away. So the earth is fallen away. We will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. Not us. He works with us. He strengthens our motivation and our, our desire and our vision. But God is there to help us and support us even though the earth falls away. And there will be, of course, a challenge to people who says, well, that's, I don't need that. Even brothers and sisters who have forsaken the word and the church and gone away. How do they get encouragement from it? I recommend to come back and read it and to, to think about it and ask the question, well, what else is there that's going to help you? What else is out there that will promote and motivate us? In seriousness, I doubt nothing, actually. Long term, nothing. Temporally, yes, there are always temporary fixes. But in the long term, to get a valuable fix, we need this. And Paul says, doesn't he, if God be for us, who can be against us? Left it to the Romans, chapter, three, verse chapter 8, verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? And you need to start thinking about, start thinking about that in these 
periods and times of isolation and indifference. And just wanted, I just wanted to look at very, very quickly one or two of these examples of characters who've made the best of their situation, which we can ponder and remember and think about. Um, you can turn them up by all means, or I can read them to you. Then you'll all know about them. Of course, wonderful example to me, I find, is, is Joseph, who in that um, 37th chapter of Genesis and the 24th verse, it says, the occasion this was when he was thrown into the pit by his brothers. Um, and it says, when Joseph came to, and they took him and threw him into the cistern, now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. There's so much in that verse. They threw him into this empty cistern, this empty will, this pit in the wilderness, and it says there was nothing in it and there was no water in it. It's a hopeless situation and there's this young man with every vision and prospect for the future, these wonderful dreams in his mind, and he's sitting down there feeling the sides of the pit, it's dry, he can't get out, and even if an animal didn't perchance fall into it and eat him up, he would just die of dehydration eventually. The issue to remember is that ordeal was used to save his life. That's a wonderful technique to use, brothers and sisters. However your ordeal may seem hard and difficult, there's always something in it which is leading you to somewhere else. I, I actually believe that. I know you're going to afterwards, or maybe you won't, I don't know, but give me a number of examples where this doesn't apply. I suspect if you think it through, and if you can look back, especially if you're given time, then there's usually something in all the ordeals in the grace of God which will be doing something better for you. And that pit was used to save his life. And we see how Joseph didn't waste his time bemoaning it, but he made the very best, whatever that was. Look outside the box, as they say. Look at opportunities to save his life. We move on quickly to the example of Moses, who was lonely in a crowd sometimes. You can be lonely in a crowd. You can be lonely in a relationship. You can be lonely with other people. Maybe these people can be lonely in the church, and that, that's easily possible for a number of reasons. Are the church helping them? Are they helping themselves within the church? It's a need that needs to be perhaps satisfied. And so... The situation of Moses was the Red Sea was in front of them and the Egyptian soldiers are coming up behind him. There's no way out. Are we sometimes in positions in life where we think there is no way out? It seems impossible. But it never is in the purpose of God in the long term. And he must have been so lonely in the crowd and thought, I'm just fed up with you lot. Why don't you do something about it? I've been doing this all along. I'm out of here. I want to get the next bus. I'm going down to Ethiopia and have a holiday down there. I mean, we can all think this, whatever. But you, you, again, you know, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Wonderful, powerful words of exhortation. If we, as I said earlier, if we hear and observe the exhortation, and if we remember the exhortations which are there for us. There are occasions and needs to, to be more focused, to stand still, and to conserve dignity in the face of so much opposition and oppression. 
And in that situation, as I said, Moses was, Joseph was on his own in isolation. Moses was lonely, I think, in a crowd of people that were all, and if you read the context and how they behaved, were indifferent and chiding and shouting and making a lot of fuss. And my other example is the, it, it, it would have come from today's reading from Ezekiel, which is a short reading, it doesn't matter. And, and it's a short verse, it's a short chapter of nine verses. And in that nine verses, the word stubborn and obstinate appears nine times. So Ezekiel was facing a crowd like Moses was. And quite often we are living amongst a society of stubborn, obnoxious and obstinate people, brothers and sisters. And we can sort of bemoan that fact if we're lonely and indifferent. And God's command was, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. That, that's it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lovely posture of strength. Stand up. Don't, I mean, admittedly, he was bowing down in reverence to the, to the, to the vision he'd seen, but Mo, God said, stand up, and I will speak to you. So, again, a posture of facing rebellion, obstinacy, indifference from other people, families, even from within yourself sometimes. Are we rebelling against what we know and should be right? Are we obstinate against the wishes of God? Only we can answer that. But at least we have to have this posture of positivity and to stand up and do something about it. Of the Apostle Paul, I feel very moved when I read from the second letter to Timothy in the fourth chapter, verse 16, when he, it says, well, I'll read it, at my first defense, this is a man who really isn't going to live much longer. He probably knows he will be executed soon. And I think in the, at the end of the authorized version, it says, this letter was written from Rome, and it gives the name of the person. It doesn't appear in this particular version. When Paul came before Nero the second time. Now, very few men ever came to Nero the second time. It was usually only one. Such a brutal man. But Paul at least had the opportunity to come before him the second time. And the posture of his mind in this state of dreadful fear and horror possibly, maybe, maybe we will never have to face that, although bad our situations are. And he says that my first defence... No one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. And then the lovely mind of a cultured spiritual brain. May it not be held against them. He didn't hold it against people that they left him and neglected him and run off and isolated him and made him lonely. He didn't wish their downfall. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. By the grace of God, because of that posture of dignity, we're here today. The Gentiles did hear. His message did go abroad, beyond Rome and to the corners of the earth. And because of his stance, he didn't bemoan his isolation and desolation. He said and recognized that God stood with him and good came from it. And then my final example in these cases was, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
when he says to his disciples, You believe at last. Jesus answered, But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And he says, You're going to leave me. They knew. People do leave other people. They do leave them alone. I mean, have we left people? Have we run away? Have we neglected our responsibilities? That's the one responsibility. The other one is for the person who has been left and rejected, the beautifully developed spiritual mind, the people who use the techniques which God has offered us through the scriptures, says, but I am not alone my Father is with me. It's, it's a wonderful prayer when we are feeling down, indifferent, dejected, things are against us, they're not going our way. We're never alone, brothers and sisters. God will stand by us to bring good out of it if we have the spiritual mind and posture to do so. As Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so then, the techniques, again, make the best of the situation in which you find yourself. Don't waste time building up negative feelings and, you, and lose energy that way. Conserve dignity and maintain a confident posture of expectation that good will come and not anticipate failure. Stand up. The best antidote to worry and loneliness is action. The best antidote for worry and loneliness is action. Do something about it. Don't dwell on regrets. Chronic regret merely prolongs the anguish. And in our particular case, use the address roll. Pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Be invited to their home. Invite yourself. Meet with somebody face to face, eye to eye. Sit down, talk about it, pray together. It will always work. I just want to say, before I close, I've taken a bit more time. I didn't have much time last time, so I'll tack it on to this time, actually. <laughs> and it's just a funny little thing, but it kind of helps me. A lot of you are too young to remember this, but maybe you might. On the last week, the 3rd of September, it was the 70th anniversary of the beginning of the war. And to help the war, the government set up an organization called the ARP. And it was Air Raid Precautions. I mean, a lot of you don't, and a lot of you can remember that, and some of you might not. But you've probably seen it on films, you've seen it on the buckets of water that were hanging on the side, to put the fire out, and on their heads. And it was called Air Raid Precautions. It was a civil organization which was set up to warn of problems to come, warn of raids to come, and in the event of a raid, to help people, to succor them, to find medicine, to find food and shelter, and so on and so forth. And it was an organization there to help in a time of crises why am I mentioning this I tell you why I'm mentioning this because ARP stand for something I think you might easily remember it stands for the three the three pronged the three stranded cord of aid and help attendance reading and prayer brothers and sisters, they are the ARP of our battle in life, not the airway precautions, attendance, reading and prayer, don't stay away, you might have a holiday from the meeting, but come back, attend 
and meet with people is the great help. Reading is essential. It is, it, it, it is the source of wisdom and life and knowledge. You don't have to do the daily reads necessarily. For a while, you know, I read two chapters, just two chapters from the Bible, for, for, for days on end, weeks on end. I just read two chapters and it gave me a huge amount of help and assistance and it fed me actually and prayer the great spiritual lifeline to God which will help all our needs by identifying them and being honest and talking about them ARP attendance reading and prayer and I hope that combination of techniques within the context of the things I've said this morning can help all of us as individuals and as a church and as a family to face the onsetting difficulties that will come because of changes that take place. May it be that our breaking of bread and our remembrance of Jesus this morning will focus on the great Son of God who in his loneliness didn't feel lonely but that God was with him and can be with us in all the things that lie ahead. God bless us all to this end. It is the time of our service now where we will take some bread and some wine that we actually remember our value to God our Heavenly Father. Each one of us is worth the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ irrespective of whether we have been good, have been bad, feel strong or feel weak, we are called together to share this bread and this wine to remember and be empowered and built up and forgiven that we may come to our all-knowing, all-powerful Heavenly Father that we might acknowledge his love. And the bread and the wine are intended for us to do just that. To remember the love God showed for us in sending his perfect son. And the love that the Lord Jesus Christ showed for us by living the perfect sinless life and suffering a horrific death that we might know our God our Father that we might know what he is like we will sing our 